Stickers, you want them? We've got them. We're trading stickers for donations to our friend Kevin Wilkins' GoFundMe. Kevin was Mike and my editor at the Skateboard Mag and has helped countless skaters out over, the, over his long career at Transworld and then the Skateboard Mag. Now he's facing down prostate cancer and we're trying to make the fight a little easier. So donate at least $10 to the Kevin Wilkins Fund, forward your receipt to mostlyskateboarding at gmail.com along with your mailing address and we'll send you some stickers. You can find a link to donate in this week's show notes. Now, on to the show. Hey, welcome to the Mostly Skateboarding Podcast. I'm your host, Temple Tenelliot, and I'm joined this week by Patrick Kigongo and Mike Munzenreiter. This week, we're talking about Bastian Salabanzi and Chafee. At 35, Bastian Salabanzi seemingly came out of nowhere to remind us how great he really is, with a new part and interview on Thrasher. Patrick, you're friends with Bastian. How'd this part hit you? Uh, it was a very nice and welcome surprise. I think that he was feeling a little bit of... Um... I think a combination of inspiration plus competitiveness. Um, he has openly talked about the fact that he is a competitive guy. And the Thrasher interview was really, really awesome because I think it, re- it showed that he is a pretty self-aware dude and also pretty humbled by life. You know, he talks about the fact that his dad had passed away and how much he missed his family first when he was younger and then also as an adult, the second time around when he was back in the States writing for Primitive and for a little while doing, you know, before joining Primitive, doing Street League. And something I've wondered, actually, I want to kind of throw this to Mike for real quick. I mean, your dad, um, how, do ch- how does having kids change your perspective? Because Bastian has two kids uh, with his baby moms in, uh, over in Bordeaux. Uh, it changes everything completely. Like, um, yeah, it, it just completely reshapes your priorities and you know so much of it is like the time put in and it you know you just become a part of that little person and they become a little part of you a big part of you excuse me and uh yeah so i could i could imagine um especially with two uh there's a lot of parental guilt where you know if you're putting you know you're giving your partner a lot more responsibility if you're gone i mean we go through that. My buddies and I go through that sometimes on just like Saturday morning skate sessions, you know, like shit, I feel bad about getting away. So sidebar. Yes, it is insane how much it changes things. Yeah. And I think that's a recurring thread throughout Bastion's career is the importance of his mom and his older brothers. And I got to meet uh, one of his older brothers and he's super, super chill. Um, I'm the eldest of four boys and, you know, I've got older cousins and family friends, so I, I don't quite understand the dynamic, you know, being the eldest, but you could you could definitely see it. You could definitely see that he seeks his brother's approval, and he's really, you know, he's also competitive with them. And I think that's something that really drove him throughout his skate career. And I think he's also, I think he's also in this kind of space where, and admittedly, he says like, I'm not done with skating. I still got something to give. He, we, you know, we got to jam together uh, a bunch of times while he was living over in Glendale, and we were supposed to continue doing so after the Christmas holiday. But then COVID hit. He ended up staying in, you know, he ended up staying, you know, just outside of Paris. And yeah, like he was doing dawn patrol. Like he'd get up stupid early, like five, six in the morning, and go skate. Usually the Sheldon Park. And then he'd be playing music all day. You know, I'd hang out in the afternoons or in the evenings. I was unemployed at the time. And he's a stunningly good guitar player. Really, really, really good. And I'm not talking about that uh, 
skateboarder who picks up guitar playing sad bastard music. No offense to Bell and Sebastian, who are great. Let me clarify that. <laughs> like he taught me Otis Rush and Edda James songs. Like really kind of got me thinking like, shit, I got to, I got to up my, up my game. Cause I got to jam with, you know, this kind of band, like he was, you know, this pickup band that he was kind of doing at this bar called Zebulon in Echo Park. And that was so fun. And, you know, he's, I think he's one of those dudes who's like, I got some, I got something to prove. I got so, like I got something to prove. I'm Bastion. I'm that dude. This is what I'm up to. Um, I mean, Templeton, how did y'all feel? I mean, especially having worked in the skateboard industry, like he came on like a hurricane, you know, when he was younger, that is back in the day. Yeah, I feel like for me, like he was always kind of like that little kid, you know, like I didn't pay a lot of attention to him because he was like kind of little kid and also like just skating so far beyond a relatable level to me you know like he he just went from like oh i see little kid like nollie heel flipping off the ledge at some euro contest and then like he's on flip kickflip front boarding a 16 stair handrail so yeah like I, I was never like a person who followed bastion and i think kind of later in his career like when when that contest footage popped up and he was like he was just ripping and you kind of hadn't seen bastion for a while and he was at this contest just basically landing everything and showboating like crazy, you know, like kissing towards the crowd and like pointing and fist pumping, whatever. And it was like, you know, that that's like not what you do in skateboarding. But <laughs> when I saw, like, I, don't, I actually don't remember how I felt when I saw it at the time. But looking at it now, I'm like, that's so awesome. You know, like he's just like, uh, just like owning it and having fun. And uh yeah, I don't know. So I think after that, I kind of became a fan of Bastion. And I thought it was rad that he, you know, like popped up on Primitive. That was like so unexpected and out of left field. And uh, yeah, when I was, uh, you know, reading that Thrasher interview, I was like, oh, he's 35, which is like old, but also he's like six years younger than me. So he's <laughs> he's still got plenty of skateboarding left in him. Uh, I, I guess that's how it, uh, how it sat with me. I think the the fact that he's 35 kind of kind of took me kind of put me off balance because it's both like kind of old but not old because he's younger than all of us here on this podcast by you know at least four years I think and then it's like oh my god how young was he when he got his start and I remember like it's that photo maybe it was in Big Brother of him backsmithing some ledge and he's got Guy Mariano actions on. And like, I remember that shoe from when I was young. So how mm-hmm. young was he if he's four years younger than me? And and he's had, you know, how many think of the career arcs or just, you know, the path where it's up and then down and then up and then down and then like up again. It's it's pretty crazy, I think, and really uh, quite impressive just to keep coming back like that. Um, mm-hmm. And I like the video part, just the the kind of reinvention, man. It's he's skating ledges and he's skating fast. And uh, I don't know what you guys think, but he was doing legitimate ledge tricks, not just I'm kind of old and my knees might hurt from jumping down shit all my life. But you know what? Half cab kickflip nose slide and then kickflip nose grind revert. That's a legitimate ledge line. He did it really rad. And then he Hell still yeah. has. The cab kickflip front board back to straight, which was just shocking when he pulled it that way. And so, yeah, I was impressed. 
I think it's awesome that he's back. Uh, and I do like the showboating too, Templeton, having come around to it. One thing when you were talking about it, I typed it out. It's like, you know, skating only likes it if you showboat, like, ironically. You know, the Eric Costin book. Though I do wonder how ironic he is with it in reality. But, uh, <laughs> it's like circular. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely the snake eating its tail. And you never quite know, you know, what actually flies until it happens. But, yeah, I'm wholly on board with Bastion's comeback. Oh, I don't think it was a comeback. I'd say in French, le roi est vivant, vive le roi, you know. The king never left, you know, long live the king. <laughs> he has always been skating at this level, bar a period where he was recovering from um, tearing his ACL and the subsequent surgery. And Was that I, around the time that he came back on Primitive? I think just before. Yeah, I think, yeah, right when he, yeah, right when he, got back on Primitive, and he was skating, I think it was a double set. It was, it was a double set that uh, Grishan Mosley had done something on, and he landed, he landed funky and ended up taking like a year and a half off, which is, in 2021, is not really that long. I mean, all of us pretty much just lost a year of our lives to COVID, you know, what's a year? But in skateboarding, depending, especially over the last 25 years, like a year can be a really long time in terms of coverage and such, especially if you're skating at the level that, that he has always skated at. And as for the celebrations, I have always liked it. And there's a couple of reasons why. First of all, black joy, right? Yeah. Uh, I am never going to get a mad at a great athlete being the boss because look at Muhammad Ali, right? And I think Bastian is, I don't know if he's Muhammad Ali level, but he's definitely channeling that. He's definitely channeling that sense of competition and really is, takes, takes skating super seriously. The other thing is this. You got to remember that when he came on the scene in professional skateboarding, you know, that was around the time of, so let's say, late 90s. So France won World Cup in 1998 and then Euro Cup in 2000. And you got to look at who was on those teams, right? And even fast forward to 2018. It's like 98 World Cup, Christian Carembu, Marcel Desailly, Lilian Turam, you know, fast forward to 2018, Paul Pogba, Kylian Mbappe, Samuel Mtiti, Steven Zonzi, right? Black Frenchmen with super African names, these are the kind of folks, these are the, the names that I grew up with, right? So to see a skateboarder, right, straddle that culturally and be represented at the highest level, skating for flip, right, being one of the anchors of the team was so hyped on that, especially because I was living, I was living in Nice in 2003 and like oh, wow. everybody was talking about Bastion. He, he was... You know, he was like he was carrying the torch from LeVar McBride. You know, he was the young, you know, the young cat who made good. And I think, let's see, I think, uh, I think another thing too is that I think we have to think about context because we can't talk about Bastion without talking about like the, the great question of what happened with Flip. And we'll never really know. And I'm sure that um, somebody's had the conversation. But I, I think you have to remember too. You know, he came to the U.S. at 14 or, or 15 years old. You know, th here's a, a mixed race. Uh, black dude from France being put up in a hotbed of American conservatism and reactionary, even white supremacist culture, Huntington Beach, California, in Orange County. And, you know, he left Flip, what, was he 19 or 20? I mean, can you imagine going from, you know, and no, not to say that France is uh, a, a great liberal haven. There's certainly institutional racism, police brutality, and casual hard R racism there as well. But like, imagine going from the environment he grew up in to Huntington Beach, 
Yeah. And when you step outside of your skate bubble, it is this like super, 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 super strict reactionary environment. I think after a while that wears on you. And he wanted to split his time and Flip said no. At the, there was no precedent at the time for skaters to be living part-time in Europe, part-time in, in Southern California, performing at a high level. We take that for granted now. There's skaters who, you know, Lucas Puig. Lucas Puig has never lived in the U.S. He's always lived in France. He comes here, does his whole 90 days, and then goes back. Yeah, I feel like Lucas is maybe one of the first to be just, like, top-level dude outside of the U.S. Who is the homie who rides for almost, God, is he Belgian? Uh, Eunice? I'm blanking on his name. Eunice. Eunice Armani. I remember... I might have seen him randomly. I was in New York like 10 years ago on a, just some Nike junket weird thing for a P-Rod shoe. And I might have seen him in one, like one of the few times he's ever been in the U.S. Uh, there was like a Quarter Snacks post where they talk about how Eunice said all the, all the spots in the United States suck. So he never comes here. And if you start scrutinizing, <laughs> if you start scrutinizing his output, you're like, oh, yeah, he hasn't been here in a decade. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we do take it for granted. <laughs> yeah, and like at Bastion's time, a top performing pro, you know, they were, you know, obviously, you know, it, it costs a lot of money to sponsor somebody to come over on an O or a P visa. I'm sure he was here on uh, an O visa as a professional as a professional athlete. And you know, I think also Flip put him probably put him onto a sponsorship package. And you know, I mean, like also because. Yeah, I think I want to say I want to say he's the youngest sibling. So there's probably that sort of sentiment like I'm just going to do me. And so, you know, he was in Barcelona and then in Paris. And I I think at the time, too, he just wanted to be like, I'm just let me let me live my life. And I think you have to let young you have to let young skaters, you have to let young musicians, young, young people in general. Like you have to like I'm sure you all did it like that period where I'm sure there might have been people around you being like, the fuck is he doing? Yeah, I feel like these pro skaters or skaters who get hooked up at a young age they have to mature in a really odd way you know like they have these responsibilities of like getting clips that normal kids don't and then like they're thrust into this like really mature world where they're like surrounded by older dudes who are like drinking and doing drugs or whatever and i can imagine that after a while that gets old and you see your friends or your you know normie friends doing other things like getting into careers and buying houses and you know having long-term relationships and then like I don't know I think it could just kind of like mess with your head and I think before before the show started we talked a lot about Alex Olson and his new um, out there video and I think that he just like kind of skipped over a lot of that self-exploration part of his his life and now maybe he's getting into it and you know maybe that was part of what Bastion did when he left Flip. He was just like, I need to just kind of go be Bastion for a little bit. Bastion yeah. the person, not Bastion the skater. Yeah, and, you know, he skates at a level that, you know, you can't just, like, drop it and pick it back up. So he's been consistently skating, um, you know, consistently skating at this level for years and years and years. One thing that kept coming up kind of in the Twitter discussions about bastion and flip you know oh they're this european company you know you think they'd understand more but it's like are they a european company like i i wouldn't maybe they started out in europe or (laughs) england or wherever you want to say i I know there's kind of a dividing line there now it's like you know that company that brand was fully ensconced in huntington beach and had been there 
I don't know, since 1995, 96. Like, I could yeah, totally see just not wanting to be there anymore. And then if they're not going to be able to support, you know, living living with feet on both sides of the the Atlantic, like, mm-hmm. I don't think yeah. I'd put up with it. <laughs> if I was the immigration lawyer, I'd say, like, look, we paid for your visa, right? We're paying for the crib. We hook you up with all the sponsors. You're, yeah. you're eating good. Like, come on, yo. Get it I think together. he was on vans on his own. I, I feel like the vans hookup stood yeah. on its own. But point point holds, Fury trucks or whatever it was. Did I see him in a venture shirt in there? And uh, in some of the old, because uh, also Thrasher released uh, a bunch of sorry footage, which was fantastic. So half an hour of, uh, of throwback Bastion footage, which is which is great. Which then leads to the difficult question of, you know, why was that? lost part why was why that lost part get lost in the first place why was it mothballed was especially now that parts are considered more portable you know clearly bastion's part that just dropped this week is a mix of primitive footage right because there's some stuff in there from a primitive belgium trip and plus the more recent stuff too yeah i don't know i mean i think at the time of that lost part maybe the parts weren't so portable and there wasn't like uh internet like ubiquitous internet and lots of websites that could host it you know i think that it just kind of like was probably on a tape and i imagine bastion just like from reading that interview was just kind of like fuck it i don't need it like i'll just go film new stuff Hmm. so it's probably just like kind of forgotten about you know like or abandoned like his sponsors didn't care because he didn't ride for them anymore and he didn't care because he didn't ride for any sponsors anymore so it was just like you know Nobody had a had a reason to put any effort into it until uh, you know it was found. I guess is is this? I'm I, I'm wondering, and I know we have our insider with Patrick. Like, is part of Bastion's story just like this completely independent person who needed time to grow and who, you know, okay, I'm beating around the bush. Does he have a difficult streak where like he could be tough for sponsors to you know? Shit! All right, Bastion's a pain in the ass. Like, let's work with someone else. Is that a, is that a factor, or am I like projecting somehow? Because <laughs> I'm feeling like a pain in the ass. I mean, I think, I mean, I think age is everything. You know, who isn't uh, difficult in their early twenties? Who isn't demanding? I think mm-hmm. that, I, and also like I have a, a pretty. I think part of it comes from being an older sibling, and then also from honestly dealing with difficult musicians and difficult DJs. Uh, I have dealt with people and worked with people with far bigger egos who are far more difficult. Um, I think mm-hmm. Bastion is definitely one who's down for misadventure, right? And he's definitely <laughs> like on that Rolling Stone tip, you know, like, oh, we'll see where it goes. We'll see where it happens. Someone who's pretty independent, pretty laid back, and also pretty adamant about what he wants. And yeah. I think that that can kind of, Especially in, in in California, I think that can kind of rub people. I think that can rub people the wrong way because they might see that as pushy or bossy. But I think that's mostly just an independent streak. And like yeah. I said, there are people like honestly, there are people who are far more difficult to deal with and are far more diva like in skateboarding. Right? <laughs> it's a lot of difficult people in skateboarding. That's for sure. I, I remember hearing a story back when I was filming in California, and I don't remember the source of this, and it you know could be third or fourth hand information, so I, I kind of hate to even say it, but um, I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> the story was, um, you know, some skate team that Bastion was on went to some spot in France, 
and Bastion was just kind of like, let's get out of here. I've already killed everything in France. Like, he was just like, this, the whole country is done. Like, I've, I've done everything that I can do in this country. So that maybe illustrates a little bit of his, um, what it's like to work with Bastion, maybe. I love that. <laughs> That's so dope. Uh, one, one thing I, 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 I put in all caps on the note sheet is like the competitiveness. And I know I'm, I'm not a good enough skater to fully back it up. And maybe that is why I'm like competitive with it. But it, it is funny that, you know, the, the celebration and that competitive edge, I think. I feel like maybe even younger skaters nowadays are even at least publicly facing, like less competitive than ever. But like, I totally get that competitive streak. Like, you know, if everybody's ripping, you want to rip too. If, you know, I don't, I don't know what it's like to be the king shit, but I definitely get that, you know, I'm trying to accomplish this and I'm going to feel good about it. And yeah, I, I I, I guess I have nothing else but competitiveness in all caps on the notes. I mean, <laughs> that, don't. That's your Terry, Kennedy, Terry Kennedy skated to his own music. You know? <laughs> it's well-off G's. I mean, come on. I mean, I, I think... <laughs> I think... Um, I love the competitiveness because it's something completely different in skating. It's not this sort of, like, hangover from Gen X slacker mentality. It's like, we're getting it. We're going for it. We're going 110%. And I think it was a much-needed shot in the arm. I, and I love it. And, and thinking about this from a musical perspective, competitiveness, especially, um, especially like in a, like a studio environment or a live environment, like competitiveness can actually be super healthy and really push you to the outer limits uh, in terms of your ability to perform or your ability to write. And also, like, Think about who he was on a team with. You'd be competitive too if you, you know, you, yeah. you, you know, you're a young cat and you're on the same team as Tom Penny, Runa uh, Glifberg, Jeff Rowley, Arto. Jeff Rowley, yeah, it's Arto. like you gotta, you gotta step up if you're in the van with those guys. Yeah, you're like the, you're the younger brother, and he's used to being the younger brother. And you have to, when you're the youngest, you kind of have to elbow your way through. You got to make sure that the the older kids hear you. You know. Closed mouths don't get fed, and you know, if you're not careful, they'll you know they'll drink all the soda and eat all the snacks. Yeah, that's I, a great point. I think that's probably where it comes from too. I mean, and again, like that flip team was stacked, and I think it's unfortunate how far that company star has fallen in skating, because you know you might be coming up on a generation that just doesn't understand how important the sorry videos were, how important Tom Penny's footage in. At Nice High Five was how awesome Jeff Rowley was in Transworld videos. You know they were they were the hottest thing in skateboarding, and other skate companies were competing with them in terms of doing graphics and trying to figure out how are we, you know, how are we going to keep up with Flip this month or this quarter. You know they were the company to be. I mean, goodness, like we we haven't even talked about Ali Bulala. I mean, goodness. I mean, I was hard into Flip first like three four five years that i started skating eh, it's probably not that long it all it all feels that long but like yeah it feels that like it's those big time periods when you're in there but it's probably like <laughs> you know 16 months that said i mean flip had a solid decade where it really was like the leading edge and i mean they didn't put out videos until what 2000 2001 
Mm-hmm. They made you wait. Then, yeah, they had more of that. I, I just think back to that 411 flip industry section. Yep. Um, incredible Tom Penny footage in there and like a really, really strong brand identity where, um, yeah, I was like, this shit's cool. I'm going to get a I'm going to get a Tom Penny board with a yeah. mushroom on it and have no idea what it means, but I'm going to be stoked because Tom Penny is dope and so is Flip. Exactly. So Flip was the company to beat. And it's kind of interesting seeing them in this space now where so many of the principles we grew up watching are no longer affiliated with the brand. I think Tom Penny is still on Flip, right? As far as I, I know. They got to they they gotta keep those Cheech and Chong boards in production. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, they're selling the same mushroom board I had. I had a, I might have had a mini, but you <laughs> yeah, can still the, get the same graphic. I had the the gold brand. It was black with um like this this gold and um gold and silver silhouette of some sort of figure. Yeah, they were awesome. They, even like that four one one Euro four one one international report and either issue four or issue number nine. Oh, wow, one of the single digits where they're pay, where they're skating at Trocadero in Paris. I mean. Yeah, but back to Bastion, I, I think that you know he was he was in the space where he he really had to compete to stand out. Otherwise, you just get run over. And also, I like to think that Bastion walked so KB could run, <laughs> which 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 then actually, and I don't want to harp on it too long, but I think it's it's worth talking about because on Bastion's first major trip to the U.S., you know, filmed that kickflip frontside board slide in San Francisco, and he talks about in the Thrasher interview this kind of uncertainty about wanting like what it meant to try and compete for skater of the year there's not much transparency as to how someone becomes sodi and it he seems to imply that you had to go in and kiss the ring and he did he wasn't really feeling that yeah well it's always been about like what did you do for the mag and Hmm. you know if bastion didn't want to go to the mag and kind of pay his respects then um yeah it goes to chris cole i mean my my like visceral gut reaction when you said kiss the ring patrick was like fuck that (laughs) yeah it's very punk to just be like no (laughs) i mean and also he was like kowtow to fucking phelps jesus fuck that (laughs) (laughs) i mean at least he didn't get banned for life from the mag i mean goodness (laughs) but i mean those folks are like oh he bastion was robbed i was like this is probably true but you know there's like a, I got mad respect for dude for being like I didn't necessarily feel comfortable with that and also being comfortable enough to look back on it in a Thrasher interview and say that's not what I wanted to do I did not I was not interested in playing that you know playing that portion of the game everything else sure I think he was pretty well aware of his professional responsibilities at the time but maybe doing that was beyond the pale yeah and credit to Thrasher for running that you know like they could have just edited that out of the interview. I would say, and I'm, I'm living, yeah, treadmill life where I feel like I'm completely strapped for time, so I did not read the interview, and now I'm really wishing I had, and I will go on to do so. But, you know, whatever I had to say about, you know, is dude difficult to work with, it, it just sounds like dude, more than anything else, has opinions and has principles, <laughs> you know? And, like... Skating is so like, yeah, yeah, I'm down for whatever. Like, yeah, you know, so much of that kind of bullshit where, you know, people that do have a direction and do have, again, just opinions and principles, like, 
they stand out. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm partially retracting whatever take was exposed when I asked the question previously. That, that, that's like a pretty good uh, modern mea culpa there. Very vague. Yeah. Oh, so, I mean, you're right. Like, you know, heaven forbid you have opinions or you don't like something and you're like, oh, this person is a diva. Yeah. Templeton, you had, uh, you had a thought. Oh, yeah. One, one other thing I wanted to touch on with Bastion is I feel like he pushes the boundaries of tastefulness. You know, we mm-hmm. already kind of talked about the, the self-cheering, but, you know, he does the double flips. He does the crook back lips. It, and it's, it's almost like a signature. You know, like when you, when you see a Bastion part, you know you're going to get a double flip. You know you're going to get a crook back lip. And I feel like the crook back lip in this part was almost just like, I got to get a crook back lip for the people. You know, like, this is my signature oh, yeah. move. Yep. You know what, though? He has the best crook back lip. And that probably goes to show that it is the signature. Uh, the one in the part, the most recent part, that was almost like backside nose grind mm-hmm. to back lip. Yeah, that's kind of how he does it. He doesn't really, like, sit in the crook and then go to back lip. It's just, like, all one motion, kind of. Well, and there's the one in maybe, I mean, it's in Sorry probably in France, and I think he went to fakie. And, I mean, that's a pretty fucked up, gnarly trick. Yeah. If you're just doing the math. like, And it is that, like, almost nose bonk straight into back lip. I mean, it's not Allison Castro. Big name check for the Mostly Skateboarding podcast. Um, yeah, I, I like his crook back lips. You're right. It's a signature. It's something that, it's like a watermark. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was I was considering doing a crook back lip just the other day. <laughs> I have never tried that trick in my life, but now I might. Never it works. It. it flows pretty good. I was yeah. thinking about doing it on this uh, curb on a bank, so I, as a way to get that into back lip. It. And then, not gonna uh, lie, that's where I pictured it. <laughs> you should go do it. Well, now you have to. Fuck, Published. do I? Yeah, this is legally binding. Oh man. Yeah, you gotta do it as an NFT. <laughs> i was thinking we should sell the show notes as nfts <laughs> like a 50 cent nft mostly skateboarding uh first episode show notes hey hey man we we start getting some some income from it then we can start doing the write-offs and then the ball rolls yeah Just we can up our audio quality if anybody <laughs> wants to buy that uh first episode show notes M- nft let it be known and we'll make it happen hit us Do, up uh, 15 seconds of the Zitzer episode as an NFT. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I could chop it up into 15-second increments. Oh, yeah. Just just go to the well again and again. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, in, uh, in sad news this week, uh, the bulldozers came for another, of our, <clears throat> another one of our iconic skate spots. Ontario, California's Chafee High School ledges are no more. This was the site of so many ledge lines throughout our, fav- our formative years of skate video consumption. Mike, why did the loss of Chafee get you feeling some type of way? So I typically don't try to get feeling any type of way about lost skate spots. And I pause there because that's probably a little too much. Like, you know, I'm human. But... I think that, you know, the spot churn is part of skateboarding and it keeps it interesting and it keeps us evolving, you know, all, all that stuff. However, um, I definitely grew up watching so much Chafee High School in 411, in Mouse, 
in old Transworld videos, like Jeremy Ray had a bunch of footage there, and it was such a cool spot, and I think it was relatable in a way that, like, the L.A. schoolyard wasn't just because, I don't know, asphalt schoolyards, they don't occur that much in Minnesota like that. So it was, it was, it was basically the, the one spot that I really dreamed about going to, you know, when I was 17 and watching Mouse every day and skating every day. And so it's, it's definitely, it's a, it's a crossroads, I would say, as far as the spot being taken away, because it hasn't been a force in skating for a long time. But, you know, sometimes it's just nice to know it's there. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Did you ever go there, Templeton? No, I never made it out there. I don't think Chafee, uh, like, hell, like, I didn't hold Chafee in such high regard um, when I was out there. I think somehow it just, like, didn't, uh, like, I didn't even know what it was called or, like, where it was or anything like that, like, that I probably knew about, like, the Sand Gaps or, like, LA High or some other spot like that, like... I think it was, like, so ubiquitous, it was, like, almost like wallpaper, you know? Like, it was just, like, a spot that I almost took for granted. Never gonna go away. Yeah, until it did. Patrick, what about you? You, um, you know, you've lived in L.A. for uh, some time. Did you ever make it out there? No, it's weird because very recently I've been skating a lot in the Inland Empire in that far part of where L.A. County meets San Bernardino County. So to kind of help orient the listeners... So Chafee is in Ontario, which is just over the county line in San Bernardino. So that's 44 miles from LA High, which is the brick banks over on wow. Olympic, right? 44 miles, which is could be an hour. It could be 90 minutes. It could be two hours in horrific traffic from central LA, right? But here's the thing. It's only 23 miles from La Habra which is where Jeremy Ray and them are from. So it's actually, for folks in Orange County, it's actually a little easier to get to. You can get there, say, like in a half an hour, 40 minutes. So that's why you had a lot of those cats there. And I think Chafee took on a second life on Instagram. Shout out to my friend Sam and also JP, JP Jadid, the Lebanon Don, pretty much filming there every <laughs> single weekend and just reminding us how awesome of a spot it is. And it's, it's actually, it is kind of a tragedy in a way. But y'all are right that it is it's far and it's actually it's it's remote if you really think about it because you know think about how many spots are central are are in central LA think about the spots like Lockwood and Los Feliz Elementary which are five minutes from each other those are forty something minutes from Chafee like Chafee like there was like a whole other world out there so if you were going out there you were staying all day and it was like a dedicated mission to skate it. And right. like there was a whole community of skaters who grew up skating there and 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 fed it like that was their thing like that was their EMB and it was like a bust for a while and I think yeah I think the Instagram era was very kind to it and it reminded a lot of people that yo this spot's still here and it's still awesome. I was just thinking like okay forty four miles I could drive forty four miles any direction out of the Twin Cities and I'm in farmland or I'm in a river or I'm in a lake like. Uh, that scale and that that just like yeah we're we're staying in the metropolitan area in Eriko it's just to skate a spot that's amazing mm-hmm. damn yeah that's crazy and, like and like literally just over the county line right like the closest cities nearby in LA County are Diamond Bar and Pomona like Cal Poly Pomona's out there there's some spots there Upland is over that way I mean people used to skate those you know excuse me 
people used to drive, drive those distances to go skate pools and to go skate really big parks. So I'm sure that back in the day that there were filmers and photographers who were willing to make the trek. Hence why the Honda Civic was so popular because you could gas mileage. You needed it. You were going to be spending a lot of time in the car. Man, in my day, like, we would drive out pretty far just to go, like, look at a handrail and not even end up skating it. So, I'd, it doesn't, I don't think that kind of distance phases a lot of folks to go skate and get a clip. Yeah, although we should, I mean, to be fair, that's very much a West Coast thing. Because yes. if you drive, if you drive 44 minutes, let's say you leave lower Manhattan and there's no traffic uh, in the bridges uh, from bridge and tunnels, right? If you drive 44 miles, you can be, you're still in the metro area, right? So it, it's kind of similar, but there's so much to skate in the five boroughs that the idea of getting in the car and driving like all the way, like deep into Jersey, right? And you can get relatively, you know, relatively in there. Um, or driving, I hate to say upstate, because upstate, I'd say, does not start until Albany. Like 44 miles is, <laughs> it is, but it isn't a lot. But on the East Coast, it's hard to wrap your head around the idea of, of driving 44 miles to skate a singular spot. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it continues to blow my mind. Um, and I think it does, it like plays into the fact, I think, that there was an actual scene at Chafee, you know, back in the day. We're able to rifle off Lokes. I know you brought up J.P. Jadid, Richard Mulder, maybe, yeah. mm-hmm. Jess McCraney, the, uh, I, I only know of him from 411, but dude was incredible. Now I got to look at my notes. I didn't write down my locals list. I mean, there were so many r- rad dudes there. It, it, it did feel like an actual scene as compared to, I mean, there are other scene spots in, in Los Angeles, which this was not because it was 44 miles away. But uh, it stood out. Yeah, I think for me, like, you know, being in North Carolina, it was just so odd and, like, hard to understand. Like, what is this place? You know, it's, like, goes on forever. Uh, There's, like, ledges everywhere. You know, like, schools in in North Carolina are not at that scale. And, you know, it, it just looked like an office park, maybe. Like, but the buildings didn't look like, you know, work type buildings and I don't know, it was just, like, confusing, and there's just so much there, you know? Like, there was the the main ledges where you do lines, and then there was, like, the extended three-stair with the ledge going out and the ledge going down. And then there's the trash cans that are, like, kind of iconic. Yeah. Dude, the Manolo's, trash cans are wild. Manolo's tapes have in, well, the Kareem's kickflip, which must be off a micro-bump or at least a mind-bump. I've always thought the way that... It's aligned after the crack. He does the kickflip over the orange can. Gotta be a mind bump at mm. the very least. Because that is the very least. But um, yeah, in Trilogy, when he backside 180s two of those cans off what appears to be flat, I mean, that shit's just incredible. Yeah, yeah that was something that stuck out to me when I was kind of going back and looking at old Chafee stuff. And I was wondering if Kareem did the pager check at Chafee, but he didn't. <laughs> nah, <laughs> and uh, again, might have been on some... Wilshire. Oh no, that was not on Wilshire. That was on um, that was on Fountain. In... Okay, thank you. Yes, the the Minnesotan just throwing shit out there. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, that was um, Fountain in Vermont, right around the corner. It's um, it's that corner ledge that is in twenty shot sequence a whole bunch, yeah. and there's a bump around the corner from there. 
uh, right where, yeah, that's like right where East Hollywood becomes Los Feliz. But some more geographical context uh, for tri-state area folks. Like, so if you go like 40-something miles from New York, like it's like, let's say you go 40 miles east, you're like way out on Long Island. If you go, go 40 miles north, you're up in Newburgh. So like there's a, there was a skate park in Newburgh that there was a bunch of contests at. Um, like you are, you know, you are not remote. You're not in the sticks, but you're definitely not, uh, and you're definitely still within the commuter belt, especially now that uh, there's been so much suburban sprawl. But when you you go out that far on the East Coast, you you can be in a wildly different place. And I think that a lot of those California schoolyards just represent, you know, the scale of construction that was happening during the the baby boom and the construction boom of the 50s and 60s, you just had, you needed to, you, people were just building because there were so many kids going to school. And that's why you have those huge sprawling campuses. And because the weather is nice most of the year, um, it's a lot more unpredictable now because of global warming. Yeah, you could have uh, outdoor campus, which is, again, like kind of like a wild thing, um, especially like if you're going to high school around the time, like, because uh, we all probably graduated at a similar times, so like where school shootings and campuses were starting to get closed and like you couldn't just like dip off and like a lot of schools banned smoking. So, you know, going to school became less of a, you know, it became harder to cut school and dip out. Whereas for a lot of these California campuses, especially the wide open ones, I can definitely see how, why would you even bother going to class? Yeah. Mm. There's so many places to just post up. So do you guys have any favorite tricks at Chafee? Mm. Like what, what stands out to you, Patrick? Favorite line would probably have to be, um, I'm trying to think, Keenan Milton. I'm trying to think, what video was it in? Um, hold up a second. Hold that thought. Mike, you got favorites? So there's the, you could do the trick over the ledge to the other side of the ledge. Daywan did a backside flip over to switch frontside crook. Ooh, yeah. Pop out fakey. That leaps to mind. Um Geez, I mean, there's the there's the cost in line, and I want to be able to like recall it all. He does the front side shove it over the can when it's when it's put in the crook of the grass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then he does the switch front blunt. What did what did he start the line with? It's in mouse. Yeah, I don't know. It's funny because this this line stands out to me too as a favorite for the last trick, which is a switch ollie over the perpendicular ledge after the switch front blunt. And I always yeah. liked that because the switch ollie just was like, it was just practical. You know, it wasn't yes. like a trick <laughs> to impress you. It was just like, I just needed to get over this ledge. So I switch ollied it. And like, right. just to switch ollie over the bench like that to me was like so impressive. Just as a like, oh, I just need to, you know, get over this bench real quick. Right after I did this switch front blunt. So for me, that that's like my favorite chafee trick. <laughs> Patrick, what about you? Okay, it's Jeremy Ray. He's in four-wheel drive, and he is skating to, excuse me, and he's skating to no effects, and it's a half-cab yeah. heel over, it's a half-cab heel over one of the ledges. I think it was because it was a weird part. It's because I've, I've, I think I've only seen that video a couple times, and it was so different from his secondhand smoke part. And it's mostly him skating chafee, and it has a lot of long lines, and I think it was one of those parts where it reminded you that Jeremy Ray could do anything. And it was just as fun seeing him skate that schoolyard as it was seeing him while in. I mean, like, he had, to, he had like, a sick tray flip over one of those ledges. Mm-hmm. Um, and he skates fast. And it just it looks so good. I mean, it's difficult to pick. 
it's actually it's really really hard to to pick because it's one of those schools that if you grew up like you know we're all from like the same era like in the 1990s it was in 411s it was in it was in that video inland empire it was in chocolate videos it was in yeah there's a lot of tricks to choose from yeah and it's it's hard to recall too because you know, that was an era where, like, you like you have to think, you know, go through your mental rolodex. Like, I'm trying to think of all these spots with uh, with ledges and you know different parts, you know, different parts where people are skating plazas like that or schoolyards like that. And it's difficult to choose, especially especially if you haven't been paying attention to them for a long time. Right. Like, I yeah. thought like when I moved out here, like Chicky was done because I think I had remember I had remembered hearing that it was a bust. Yeah, I feel like it's it's been one of those spots where. It's a bust. BMXers destroyed the ledges. You know, I, I, Patrick, you've been talking about, you know, kind of a Instagram renaissance. Like, I was totally unawares of that. So I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird background spot. And the fact that it's so far outside of kind of the epicenter of things, it had a scene despite all that. Very unique. Or very unique, yeah. Sorry, I'm now I'm self-editing my talking. <laughs> One other clip that I wanted to bring up: uh, Richie Mulder, who might be Chafee King. Just throwing that out there. He yeah, in, probably. Yeah, in Penal Code, the FTC video, he does the um, ends one of the montages. So he does a switch front tail back to switch, switch of it. And then a frontside 180 fakie 5-0. And then he does like one of the best frontside half cab flips ever done on tape. And he's got a great like pants into shoes. Like his pants and shoes are doing great things together. Mm, yep. um, really love that line. And I think he even said in an interview I saw, maybe a 48 blocks thing, maybe a crail tap, that that's one of his favorite lines. And he's, uh, can't tell if it's cargo pants. But, oh, the manual pad there where he skates at yeah. skating the Nautilus in, uh, in Mouse. Yes. Yes. I think it was a uh, kickflip nose manual, right? Heel flip? Or is it a heel flip nose manual? Yeah. Beautiful. And he, like, when he lands it, you hear the echo um, in the hallway. It's amazing. Actually, here's the thing. Like, would you say that Chafee is one of those places where was there ever, was there ever a period of... Um, sort of wobbly or weird footage from there. I mean, like, there's a little bit in New World Order, right? But the skating was starting to look good during that era, during uh, NWO. And by the time you got to Mouse and all the videos from 96 on, it was always clean. Has there ever been, you're like, there's plenty of bad lines at EMB, for example, right? But that was also, that was a training ground. That's where people, that's where skateboarding progressed very very rapidly there was a lengthy discussion about this on skate twitter but is chafee one of those places that was the first to benefit from all of that incubation work being done up north could be because i feel like there's not really big pants small wheels at chafee it was like always a little bit after that or am i all wet i don't Uh, know i agree i mean I wonder if there's, you know, some, again, Richard Mulder, like, foundation footage from way back when. It might be a little wacky, but, nah, it's it's a place that makes me think of good skateboarding. Yeah, because there's other, I mean, like, that whole EMB discussion was that there was some awful skating there, but there's a handful of folks who pushed the culture so far forward that eventually you had to keep up. And also, 
the board shapes, you know, slimmed down significantly and trucks got better and wheels got bigger. So by the time you get to a place like, say, Pier 7, just down the road from uh, Justin Herman Plaza, or you go down to a Chafee, skating looks so much better and folks look so much more comfortable. And then by the time like, you get to like 96, 97, they're killing it. So, yeah, but it feels like Chafee is one of those spots where you never see, you'd never see any, anything bad. And was Richard Mulder ever in a foundation video? Yeah, I don't know. That's, um, yeah, it might have been anachronistic or whatever word actually works there. Um, he definitely had ads, but I don't know. Like, there was like what? There was the first one, Magic F, then it was Glam Boys. Was it Glam Boys on Wheels or Glam Boys on Acid? Wheels, I believe, yeah. Okay. Then it was uh, Superconductor, Super Collider. Yeah, he might have never, he might have never actually been there. Tentacles, yeah, Tentacles of Destruction, then Rolling Thunder. I know way too much about Foundation. <laughs> yeah, I'm so you're, you're kind of killing it. <laughs> trying to think of Lay. Someone, someone, is it Lee Peterson or like Lay Pe- Peterson? Lay Ladare? Yeah. His art is terrible. I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> we, we, we've, we've hit a new kind of like zone of mostly skateboarding podcasting when, when we're into Lay. So it is Lay. Okay, cool. I think it's, I think it's Lay. Either way, like, whatever. His skateboarding was fine. Like, people were like, oh, like, I can't believe this guy was actually pro. It's like, who cares? There's very few people from that era who actually transcended the, the gear or the gear or the clothes. But the art is like, his art is unforgivable. <laughs> That's just a huge no. Like, what, he just continues skating to all the bullshit that he skated to, like, music-wise. What just now making art. Did he skate to? Was he the dude that skated Andrew Dice Clay? Oh no, that was uh, Andy Stone. Andy Stone is the shit. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, never mind. Hey, I'm over here now. Lay Peterson. Lay Peterson. Peterson. He skated as something equally audacious. I feel like. Oh, in was in videos. What was, was it? Um, one of them was uh, the Joker by Steve Miller Band. I think that was in World War II report. And then in a Foundation video in Tentacles of Destruction, it was. It was let's let's look this up because it's that terrible. I thought it was like some awful '60s beat spoken word. I was like, "Good God, this is cringeworthy." Yeah, that far off on the spoken wordness. Oh, so so homeboy was on 101. We have to remember. I mean, yeah. So he 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 got he got clearance from Nadas, but how did he how did he, how did he end up on 101? I don't know, but he must have been stoked. <laughs> Which brings us to the end of our show, where we talk about what we're stoked on. Patrick, what are you stoked on this week? Well, I'll tell you what I'm stoked on. Let's go Yankees. <laughs> Today was opening day. Yankees lost to the Blue Jays. Who cares? 27 rings, soon to be 28. I'm putting it on my vision board. I've been enjoying two books. I just finished Anthony Papalardo's Heaven or Las Vegas. I'm currently enjoying Jono Coot's no Beer on a Dead Planet, which is a kind of chapbook of stories about drinking and skating and wiling out. And because I'm not going out or doing anything right now, it's just like, okay, cool. Like, I'm living vicariously through this guy's antics. And um, I'm stoked because tomorrow I'm going to be guesting on Soul Rebel Radio on LA's KPFK, which is a local community radio station, part of the Pacifica Network. It's a show... Um, it's going to be co-hosted by my boy Sam Carlin, a.k.a. Mas Uno. And uh, yeah, he, he's, uh, he's on a record by this group called Council of Nine that I've been rocking this week. Mike, what are you stoked on? I'm stoked you're going to be on the radio. And too bad we can't. Uh, yeah, too bad we can't 
preview it, you know, in the true timeline of things. Um, I'm stoked on biking at night. I actually just got out before we started broadcasting, podcasting here, recording. Just rode on the rail tr- railroad tracks by my house. It was dark. I had a light. I could see things. There was a bunch of rabbits running around, and they're like, what the hell is this dude doing? Thought I had this grass to myself. Uh, biking at night is really great, and there was a recent uh, New York Times Magazine letter of recommendation about biking at night, and I would recommend that, and I would recommend getting out and pedaling in the darkness because it's quiet, it seems secret, it's really good overall. Templeton, what are you stoked on? I'm also stoked on biking at night. I haven't done it in years, but I remember riding a friend's fixie at night, and it's just, like, so quiet and just still, except for, like, you know, the movement that you're creating on your own. So, yeah, go out and ride your bike late at night. Super fun. Um, But what I'm stoked on this week is golf and not the uh, traditional uh, ball and club game, but the card game. Uh, My wife randomly remembered it. Uh, this week so we looked up how to play and we've played it for like hours every night so that's uh that's what i'm stoked on we played a little bit before the show and we're going to play a little bit um in a couple minutes and um uh, looks like yeah. i'm gonna win so nice <laughs> so that, <laughs> nice. that's what i'm stoked on this week that's it for our show this week be sure to check out mostlyskateboarding.net for links to the things that we talked about and other show notes Until next time, you can keep up with us all week online. Mike, where can the people find you? I can be found on Twitter and on Instagram at mmunzenrider. Patrick, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Instagram and on Clubhouse at pkagongo. You can also find me on Twitter at Colonel K Speaks. Templeton, where can the people find you upon the internet? I am on Twitter at Mostly Skate and on Instagram at Mostly Skateboarding. We'll see you guys next week. Peace. That was a fun one. Yeah, Yeah, that was good. (laughs) (laughs) Lee Peterson.